You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning yet again. I am Brad Talley, the teaching elder here at Grace Community Church. So glad that you are here. Um, I don't know, most of you know, I'm sure, that we were without power until about 20 till, quarter till, something like that uh, this morning. So I had all kinds of great material, you know, if we were out of power. Like today's message is on giving and, you know, we need to pay the power bills. Obviously, people are not... (laughs) Giving enough and stuff like that. Look, if you're here for the first time, let me, let me just say something. Then This is for everybody. I, I want to say it every week, and I feel like I don't have time uh, for the last several weeks. When you come here on Sunday morning, I, I know the, 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 the pattern for going to church is go Sunday morning, and the preacher says something that's really great and helps you get through the week, and then you come back. But would you rather... Get through the week or get through life. Scripture is not written to deliver those kind of 52 just independent sermons. It's written for our life. We're we're, we're supposed to get the whole. And so if you come for the first time and we're preaching on, I'm preaching on something like giving, you know, (laughs) that could be kind of uh, off-putting. But just understand that this is intended for all of life. As believers, and especially as believers in the body known as Grace Community Church. And speaking of the body, several of you have been coming for the last well, couple of months or so and, and wondering how to get involved. One of the ways to get involved quickly is through the buddy ministry. And it's just like Sarah and Charlotte were saying, it is a blessing on either end of that ministry, whether you're receiving or giving. It's kind of humbling to be receiving. Giving... Um, is such a blessing. And, and another thing too, David works hard to put everything together when a particular theme is going to come up in Sunday morning like today. But then there are situations like Charlotte had no idea I'd be preaching about giving and she was saying, Jesus gave everything. God gave everything for us. And it's a privilege to give. And it's right along with uh, the message. It, it's been a tough week for several of you on a number of levels and just I'm again grateful for the prayer time and and um, Charlotte's prayer um, just before the service or right after the service had started Gary and Lisa Pelton made it in the building but they didn't weren't able to stay Lisa's having trouble breathing just want to be uh, praying for them and let that be representative of your prayer for so many others who were recently bereaved and and getting difficult news from doctors and um, <clears throat> stuff like that. Well, I, I think that all of us would acknowledge that the wisdom of, of God is greater than our knowledge. We read that in Isaiah 55 last week. Uh, we often think we're wise when we have figured out God's wisdom in a particular sense. Oh, I see what God is doing there. But no, it's, it, His wisdom is so much beyond that and even when we think we've got it figured out a lot of times then it just goes upside down and really we need to spend more time trusting than trying to discern although we can't help but see his ways 
in, in, in certain areas of life. Uh, for instance, can you imagine if the Bible had been written in, a, in the age of technology rather than an agricultural age? I'd be okay for those of you, you know, 25 and under, especially okay for those of you five and under. Um, Allison and I are looking if, you know, if you need to loan your five-year-old for a time, we just need to know how to work our television and stuff like that. You know, we'd <clears throat> like to borrow a five-year-old for a while. But look, for, for many of us, that would not be okay if, if, if it were written in binary code, you know, stuff like that. I, I, I would imagine most of us, though, see the benefit of the, uh, of the ability of all peoples in all times to understand the analogies that are in Scripture. That doesn't mean Scripture is easy to understand, though. Were it not for the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have a clue of what's going on. Do you not sometimes just smile when you hear people say, Oh, Jesus' teaching was so simple. No, it wasn't simple. The brightest people of the day are like, what's he talking about? And then they're like, oh, he's talking about me and I don't like that. But we need the Holy Spirit to help us understand Scripture. Otherwise, we get all kinds of confused and we think things like, you know, I heard it over and over last night with the students who joined this morning. Over and over, we think, well, you know, to get to heaven, you just have to be good enough. That's what we think until the Holy Spirit shows us we can never be good enough. And the word tells us that we're all sinners and we all fall short of the mark without Jesus intervening and dying for us and the Holy Spirit drawing us to the Lord, we don't have any hope. And we need the, the Holy Spirit to make the gospel clear if there's going to be any sense of it at all for us. Even when we're part of God's family and the Holy Spirit is working in our minds and our hearts, we're prone to interpret Scripture according to our own cultural biases, our individual personalities, and even our own learning styles. You know, there are all different kinds of genres of scripture. And so you should expect all different kinds of sermons and all different kinds of Bible studies because scripture goes off in a lot of different ways of presenting the same truth. Uh, but, but our problem is we tend to approach almost everything, especially those who, of us who live here, in a very individualistic point of view. I just had to come to terms even the last couple of weeks again, yet again, how often I approach church from an American kind of style of, of, of thinking how church ought to be. And I'm the pastor. I ought to be beyond that. But we constantly have to fight against the things that make us think particular things about Scripture. So this morning we're going to contemplate a topic that is discussed far more in the Bible than it is in my sermons or frankly in most evangelical church sermons. It's the topic of financial giving that benefits the gospel community and gospel ministry that goes out from the church. So if you're saying, if you're thinking, oh, well, there goes the preacher talking about money again. First of all, I don't talk about it that much. When I do, I, I hit it very directly as scripture does. Yeah. But when 
uh, scripture speaks about it, we tend to view it through cultural lenses. And so if, if that's your thinking, oh, we're going to talk about money. Of course we're going to talk. It's kind of a, you're culturally conditioned to think like that. Uh, if you'll look for it the next time you go through the Gospels, just go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will be stunned at how much Jesus talks about money and about using our resources wisely and about laying up treasures for oneself in heaven with generous hearts by giving to others. One of the complexities of scripture is that it's not as direct as we would like for it to be on some topics. That's why, um, oh, I, I won't even say it. At Christian bookstores, you go, what's on the front? The stuff that's really simple. One, two, three, four. Here's how you live. Here's how to have a successful business. Here's how to have this and that. Scripture doesn't work that way. Uh, for instance, is tithing an Old Testament command only, or is it expected of New Testament believers as well? There's no direct command to tithe in the New Testament. However, Jesus affirmed tithing when he said to the Pharisees, well, it's good that you tithe, but you should have done this as well as tithing. So, we ought to understand that the Lord has something in that when he says that to us. Um, <clears throat> although there is no place that lays this out as crisply as I would prefer, it seems to me that in the New Testament there are, are three different ways and places that the Lord expects us to give of our resources. First, to the local church, Galatians 6.6. 6. That's a, a verse that... You'll probably say, huh, the first time you read it, but it's very clearly saying to give to the ministry of the local church or the pastor in the local church, and by extension, the, the local church at large. Two, give to those in need, both inside and outside the gospel community. That's, again, exactly what's happening with uh, the buddy ministry. And that's also what's happening with benevolence, as we will take our offering this morning. Um. Then three, to gospel missions. The entire book of Philippians is, is essentially a thank you letter, which Paul is saying, thank you so much for supporting me. The gospel is going forward. There are people in, in the in, in, imperial guard who know about Jesus because of your faithfulness. Both ministries like the, the Hunzikers in, in, in Italy, we're a part of what's going on in Italy. We want to be even a bigger part of what's going on there. And also local ministries. There are so many great local ministries that some of you are involved in. Hand of Hope, Amazing Grace Adoptions. There are lots of ways we are called as believers to give. Because Jesus affirmed tithing, which in the Old Testament Went, went to the temple, then I think it would be fair to say that the bulk of our giving should go to the church. <coughs> or another way to say that is to your local gospel community. Think about it. <clears throat> Jesus said, Peter, upon this confession that you have made, some would say, upon you, Peter, I'm going to build my church, or you're going to be used greatly in building my church. And he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is the primary means through which the gospel goes forward. And if there is no plan B, then it makes sense that we give the first fruits of our monetary gifts to the church 
uh, keeping the Old Testament pattern of God's design for his covenant people. Uh, and look, I was a parachurch minister for a long time. I was amazed hearing about the, the parachurch ministry last night uh, uh, of campus outreach and how so many people have come to Christ through that ministry. I'm all for those ministries, big time. But all of those kinds of things come and go. Camp that I was a director of for 20 years, those come and go. College ministries come and go. The church goes on forever and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And by the way, he didn't say the gates of hell will not prevail against America or the American church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So again, culture shapes uh, thinking about giving. Um, so that if we don't particularly care for a decision that maybe church leadership made, uh, then it would just make sense that in order to be a good steward of my money, I think I'll give it to these other ministries instead. I'll keep going to the church, but I'm going to give my money elsewhere. Think about the, the widow that Jesus commended. These have given out of their abundance. She's given all that she has. Where was she giving that? Where was she paying that money to? The temple, right? Right in the middle of Jesus teaching on both ends that the temple has been judged by God and this building is coming down. And yet he commended her for giving there. One of the things about American thinking about giving is if we direct all of our funds, well, then we're being good stewards. But if we'll look just a little below the surface, it could be that if we direct all of our funds, then it's all about us because other people appreciate what we're doing other it, it's tricky isn't it the motives for anything that we do are tricky so it's a good day to just just assess what it is going on i think you could see we could spend a lot of sundays uh, thinking about this topic we're gonna only be in this extensive text in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 today. We'll be in Malachi soon, so the topic will be again addressed in the near future. Uh, although 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 address one aspect of the giving in which believers are expected to participate, this text is by far the most thorough uh, treatment of believers giving, and it all works together. Even though he's talking about <clears throat> giving money to those in need in Jerusalem, Paul is in this text, it, it, it undergirds uh, and surrounds all of our uh, heart for giving to the Lord's work. We're got, not going to read the entire text, but we'll read a, a decent chunk of it and take a little time to make sense of it. And then at the end, we'll draw three main principles of application from the text, although there are Many, many more. So we'll begin by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 9. Then we'll back up to 2 Corinthians 8. It's our cu custom here to stand as the scripture is being read. So if you would please stand. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The point is this. So you can see we're picking up in the middle of an argument. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Father, we acknowledge this truth that the righteousness of God endures forever. And we recognize, Lord, that any hope of righteousness we have comes from you. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us. And out of abundance of grateful hearts, may we receive your word. And may we be delighted to participate in gospel ministry as you have designed and privileged us to do. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Another thing I was going to say without power was that I'm preaching on giving, and I'm preaching it hot today, so obviously God, but, uh, I'll try not to, to be too mean. And believe me, look, one of, the, one of the toughest things about preaching, one of the greatest things about preaching is I get to live in this text all week. One of the difficult things is I get to live in this text. I have to live in this text all week. And so I'm constantly being challenged. And I was challenged this week. Where is your giving? I can point and say, pretty good, but God's saying, really? Really? How about if Jesus had done pretty good for you, but not all the way good? Well, we're going to go back to chapter 8. I want to give you the context. Uh, All the Christians in the ancient world had a special place in their heart for the city of and and, and the church that was at Jerusalem. Everyone knew that Jerusalem was where Jesus died, rose again, ascended back to the heaven from the Mount of Olives. They knew that the Holy Spirit had come upon believers at Pentecost. They knew all of that. And they knew that, that, that their faith, their place in the covenant community of God was rooted in what happened in Jerusalem. And the Jerusalem church settled a lot of disputes that were empire-wide. People were saying, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? The Jerusalem, the elders at the Jerusalem church who were apostles, uh, mostly, not entirely. Uh, They weren't the 12 apostles, but uh, the elders at the Jerusalem church made those decisions. But the gospel community in Jerusalem was struggling financially. It was possibly due to the famine. Possibly it was due to the fact that the Lord led them to give everything that they had and hold all things in common. There's so much about that we don't understand. There may be circumstances that caused them to do that. Whatever it was, they were legitimately in need. And the Apostle Paul, led by the Lord, said, we legitimately need to do something about it. He, He spearheaded an effort among the churches in Europe and what was known at the time as Asia primarily Turkey uh, today, he led them to take an offering or spearheaded the the effort to take an offering for the saints in Jerusalem. So the parts of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that we'll read today deal with the care uh, that we won't read today. I mean, there's some of it we won't read. Deal with the care that is taken to ensure the integrity of the money, getting from the churches in in, in Europe and Asia down to uh, Jerusalem. You 
can be certain that our deacons and elders take extreme care to be fully above board and we have measures in place to protect against any hint of impropriety with regard to money here. It's necessary. Why? Because of human nature. You don't typically say, I knew that person was embezzling all the time. You don't expect it. It's out of the blue. Human nature indicates that we ought to have some law going on, even in the midst of a gospel community. We have to take care. So we won't be talking about that today. But, but just to say, such careful oversight is commended in Scripture. When Paul wrote the Corinthians, he was writing to a relatively wealthy group of believers. And he challenged them. He started off challenging them by pointing to a not-so-wealthy group of believers and what they had done. The Macedonians, or most likely the church at Philippi. Uh, chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Think of how contradictory that, that seems. Their extreme poverty has has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, <coughs> begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. This is the equivalent of someone coming in today and saying, folks, there's a church that we need to support in the Middle East. And we're all aware of how important this church is. And we all want to be a part. And he says, so we want you to support this church in the Middle East. But, but I want to let you know what the church in Haiti is doing. I mean, I told them not to worry about, look, you guys are so poor. Don't worry about it. But they begged me for the opportunity to be a part of that offering and they didn't do it like saying, okay, just tell us what you need and we'll write you a check. They gave their hearts to the Lord. And the Lord led them to give from hearts overflowing with the wealth of generosity. So, after giving this example, Paul says, essentially, it's your turn. You excel in so many things. And as the Macedonians have given out of their poverty, now you give out of your wealth. By the way, look, here's the deal. Some people, we all are, all believers are expected to pray, to read scripture, to give, to, to, to exercise faith, to witness. But clearly some of us are expected to do some of those things at a higher level because of the way that God has gifted us. But we're all expected to give. If you're a basketball player, maybe you play point guard, but if the ball comes off, off the backboard, you're not saying, hey, it's not my job to rebound. I'm supposed to throw passes and make three-pointers. <laughs> Everybody has to do everything, but some things you're gifted to do in a big way. And some of you are gifted to give at a higher level than others, but everybody is expected to do his or her part on a number of 
of levels. So now verses 6 and 7. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness, that's what I was just saying, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What is it about the human heart that makes it so the more we have, the more we want to hang on to it? It's like if you don't have that much, you freely give. But the more you have, the more possessive you tend to be. Isn't it so that, that, that poor people are often the most generous? In fact, there's no indication in the New Testament that the two people praised most highly, the, the widow and these Macedonians, ever came out of their poverty. It could be that the church in Haiti would give more than we give. And they would still be poor and we would still be relatively rich. But they're rich in the kingdom. Those who serve, those who give with generous hearts are rich in the kingdom. So now in our text, Paul gets down to business, pointing to the believer's motivation to give. Verses 8 and 9. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Once again, just think about the tendencies to hoard of the flesh, the tendency of the flesh to hoard what we have. Jesus literally had everything, had everything, yet he became so poor so that we could become that rich. Jesus was born into a relatively poor family. In fact, he was born in a stable. Let me ask you, if Joseph had had money, do you think Jesus would have been born in a stable? I doubt it. I doubt seriously he would have said, hey, hey, right here. I got it. You find a place for me. They said, oh, well, the place has just opened up, <laughs> Mr. Joseph. And in fact, it's my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Giving with a full heart. Think about it. Giving with a full heart. And, and, and look, it's not just money. It's other ways. It, it costs money to fix a meal. But these two ladies that were up here this morning and Amber Morgan, who didn't want to be up here, and I get it, I get that. What hearts they have. What, they're like Jesus in the ways that they give. And, and think about this too. With Gentile believers supporting Jewish believers, oneness in Christ was being affirmed. I was talking about how the whole Christian church had a place in their hearts for the Jerusalem church. There was also racism too. Just, it just goes with humanity. And, and so with Gentiles given to Jewish believers like this, that was a big thing. Look, it would be the most amazing thing we ever heard if, if somebody like Bill and Melinda Gates 
liquidated all of their assets. I mean, they absolutely put everything in cash and they gave it to the most destitute people person in the world. Just one person. What if they gave everything to just one person in the slums of Africa or wherever some of those slums that, that, that some of you have been to in Nigeria, Allison, when it wasn't Nigeria, it was in Kenya. Uh, just, just destitute people who were destitute and, and they just give it all. That doesn't come close to comparing to what Jesus did for us. It's not close. Not only did Jesus leave the glories of heaven, not only did he leave heaven to become one of us and a poor, relatively poor one of us, he took our sin upon himself. And as the wrath of God was poured out on him, our, the judgment that was due us was being taken by the Lord. Why? So that we might enjoy the glories of heaven. So how are you doing with your giving? Look, none of us can ever give in the same manner that Jesus did. Even so, his generous sacrifice ought to motivate our hearts to give generously. So let's look at verses 10 to 15 without comment. But the truth of these verses are going to come up again in the, in the three points at the end, the conclusion of the message. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago, this Jesus dying the way that he did and giving all for us. It, this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. You had it in your heart. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever ever gathered little had no lack. Look, no matter where we're born, in a stable or in the finest hospital in New York or how we die. We all come and go the same way, essentially, don't we? And the Lord says, look, I take care of my people and, and, and my people are expected to take care of one another. The challenge to giving continues in chapter 9. So we'll look briefly at, at verses 6 through 15. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. A lot of people look at this and say, well, a tithe is not required. Don't miss the bigger point. Uh, okay, so I'm, I'm not required to tithe. Um, so how, how are you doing stacking up with Jesus gave everything? 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Isn't it a shame that the only ones who talk about reaping and sowing are the prosperity gospel people as far as concerned with money? Now, we talk about reap, sowing and reaping all the time. You sow your wild oats, oats you know, you're going to reap a, a really nasty harvest. Um, sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. I think I've got that right, but if I don't, you know what I mean anyway. Uh, yet both here and in Galatians 6, the promise of rich reward is used in association with giving. But it's important to note that the, that the promised reward is not necessarily financial. It's gospel, righteousness, fruit, much opportunity to serve the Lord. You will be given if you give to him. Our bank account may be wiped out in stunningly quick order, but the richest God promises are eternal. As we look at verse 10, see if any of this looks familiar to you. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed so that you can eat well and invite... No, for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The first part of this verse comes from Isaiah 55, 10, which we read last week. It is, by the way, a promise that God will take care of you. He's going to take care of your material needs, but maybe not in the fashion that you think he will. I'm sure that was part of Paul's thinking in quoting this verse. God will take care of you as you were generous to others. But then it's more than that. Look, our identity as Americans is often... Uh, based upon that which we have, our material possessions. Well, I, he drives a nicer car than I do. I need to do, do that so people will think well of me. That's, that's crazy. But we think like that, and, and we think like that everywhere. It doesn't matter at what level of society. We're constantly comparing ourselves with others so that we can feel good about who we are because of this or because of that. But our identity as believers, our identity as believers is measured in ways that will not be discernible to the natural eye. That's the focus of these next five verses, which end with praise to God. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. We're given so that we might give, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. What does this have to do with witnessing? What does this have to do with outreach? It's all wrapped up in the gospel of Christ. He gave, therefore we give. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others 
while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Indeed. So let's close with three principles about our giving that very much uh, overlap. First, it is the blessed privilege of all believers to give as a response to Jesus' sacrifice. Look, I, I know that many of you grew up in legalistic settings. I did. It's my ch church background was often legalistic, and many of us are recovering legalists. And, and we think about, well, we need to just appreciate what God has done and let that motivate us. Word response is the, is the pattern David talks about a lot. All through Scripture... And our giving is in response to Jesus' sacrifice. I'm going to ask you a question. I imagine you know the answer before I even ask the question, right? What's the answer? Yes, it's yes. Is New Testament giving a responsibility and duty that believers are expected to perform? Or is it a great privilege to be a part of what God is doing as he builds his kingdom? Is it a responsibility or is it a privilege? Yes, when we get to Malachi, we'll find God rebuking his people for their failure to tithe. But today's text presents the great blessing and privilege it is to give to the Lord's work. Though he was rich, he became poor so that by his poverty, we might become rich. So how should we give? What should we do? You know those three Places that we give. How should we divide our giving? God says that each should give according to his heart, his or her heart, not under compulsion. Uh, it's clear, though, that if God has the place in our heart that he deserves, giving will be a natural response. It will just become to the point that we're like, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So I wonder if... Uh, you know, if we had two songs up front instead of three, you might go home and say, hey, we only sang two songs today. Would you feel the same if we didn't have the offering? Hey, they didn't take an offering today. Yeah, I know. That's right. They didn't take an offering today. We're taking two offers today. So that's yeah. benevolence at the end. I'll talk about that later. If God has that place in our hearts, he deserves. We'll give willingly. And generously, excitedly even. I'll make a suggestion in just a moment about ways to structure uh, your giving. Though it's going to look different from person to person according to this text. You know, we're all to give as, as the Lord leads us, not under compulsion, but willingly. Before I get to that point though, I want to talk especially to those of you under 25 years of age. Please start giving now. Because it is going to be so much more difficult to give when you are older. You need to establish this practice. Now, parents, make sure your, your children understand. Look, I, I, I interact with a lot of people who are not walking closely with the Lord. But I tell them the same thing. It is very important that you give to some cause, if not to the church there's just a principle God designed in the universe that the more we give, the more we receive. 
Again, I think Sarah or, or Charlotte were talking about it. It's, it. it's just you can't believe the blessing when you give someone a meal. And by the way, if, if Charlotte shows up with spaghetti and meatballs, it'll be the best spaghetti and meatballs outside of what Stefania would cook, of course. But other than that, it would be the best spaghetti and meatballs that you ever have. But the blessing is in, is in the giving. Doesn't God say that? It's more blessed to give than to receive. So... Those of you who are young, please start it right now. Those of you who have young children, start it with them. And of course, you can't do it with them if you're not doing it yourself. So here's the suggestion. Look, it's, I, I think it's biblically laid out principle-wise. But here's one suggestion. Start with giving 10% of your income to your local church. People that come here and they give here. And then they leave, and when they're trying to find a church, I get it when they send back to us. But as soon as they, they receive or they find another church, I encourage them to give there. My kids, when they would go off to school, said, hey, I just want to send a tithe check to the church. And I would say, no, no, thank you, but, but give where you're going to church. As a student in Greensboro, give where you're in Boone, give there. Don't give it to grace. We appreciate it, but give where you're being blessed. That's the principle of Galatians 6.6. 6. Those who are taught in the word should share with the one who teaches all things. Um, and, and the point is this. Not, it, essentially, Galatians 6.6 6 is saying pay the preacher. But in our context, it's far more than it's not just pay the preacher. It's pay the worship guy and the, and the, and the youth ministry and the, and the children's workers and pay the light bills for goodness sakes if you want to have lights on Sunday morning and pay them all of these things that's all given in Galatians 6.6 6. after you've marked out 10% for the church then support ministries and missionaries these guys that are doing such an awesome job of, of, of witnessing on campus have to raise their support. You need to be involved with people like that. And I, I know, look, most of you have already supporting several. I know a lot of you who support several independent missionaries in Suriname and in Italy and in, in, in Australia and all over the world. We, we're supporting people independent of the church. Now, the church, we consider... Our mission giving, or I do anyway, is, is a tithe from our church. That, so we get to support a lot of missions. But, but people do over and above that to those missionaries and to others that they have had connection with. And then always be ready to help those in need both inside and outside the church. One way to do that is in our benevolence offering that we take on the last day of the month, which just happens to be today. I did not plan it this way. It just, it just worked out this way. So we're going to take a benevolence offering. And, and, and I would encourage you not to give your tithe to the benevolence. Give your tithe to the regular ministry of the church and then give to benevolence over and above. I can't afford all this. We'll address that in just a minute. So once you've made the decision to give, remember this. Second, God keeps different books than we do. I mean, can you imagine how the widow who gave all that she had, can you imagine how that lady felt when she saw Jesus? She didn't even know Jesus was watching her, probably. And the Pharisees stood back and they said, thanks, widow, get out of the way. Moneybags is coming up next and he needs to get to that place where he can give his offering. 
But God keeps different books than we do. He saw the value of this woman's gift. You may think that your small little tithe to grace wouldn't mean anything, but God may honor your giving in such a way that it turns out to be the most important gift that we receive every month. If someone were to look at the books, and by the way, I can assure you that very few people do. I don't know who gives what. I just don't. It's better that way. I wouldn't want to be preaching at anybody. I have a tough enough uh, time dealing with myself. But if someone were to look at the books and they'd see your little, you know, $20 a month or whatever, they'd say, well, that doesn't. And yet God may be saying, you know, that gift that comes in every month, such a sacrifice is the very reason that I bless this church, both financially and with ministry. God keeps different books than we do. What difference did that little paltry thing that the Philippians and probably Thessalonians and Bereans, that the, all those areas, the churches in Macedonian area, what difference did that make? It made all the difference in God's eyes. You may... Be convinced of both the responsibility and the privilege it is to give. But you're simply, since you're not in the the habit of giving, you may think, I just simply cannot afford to start tithing. Let me remind you, and I say this every so often, I've never heard anyone say, you know, I made the decision to start tithing and it just ruined me financially. I mean, just ruined me. In fact, what I hear is the opposite. Over and over and over again. We made the decision to give and had no idea how it was going to work out because our expenses far outpaced what we were going to be able to do. But we decided we were going to start giving. And somehow, even though I'm a good bookkeeper, I don't have any idea idea how it is that God meets our needs, but He does. God keeps different books than we do. Giving with a grateful heart does not guarantee financial return. But God will take care of you and he guarantees spiritual return. And look, materially, we see it over and over. Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 says this. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. You know what I've noticed? People who spend a lot... And give freely. People who give freely as well as spend a lot. Tend to be a lot happier people than people who are constantly counting every penny. And just can't find a way to afford to to give to the church or to give to other ministries. There's just something about the way God laid it out. We're, we're, We're intended to be givers. And when we give, we're living according to his plan. And so thus we are blessed. Well... The last thing, the joy we receive in giving to God's work will be commensurate with the appreciation we have for the gift that he's given to us in Jesus. The joy of giving permeates 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Chapter 9, verse 7, that God says it, it says that God loves a cheerful giver or it could be literally translated a hilarious giver. Look, it's being a hilarious giver is just is more than just resisting the, the, the temptation to say when you put the money in the in the plate, well, there goes another trip to the beach, you know. I mean, I, I, 
We had hoped to do it, but I guess I better put the tithe in instead of go. It's more than just not being that way. Look, instead, our offering ought to sound like a football stadium when the home team has scored a touchdown in a big game. Now, resist that temptation in, in like three minutes when you're giving for the benevolence offering. But you get the point. We ought to be excited about our ability, our privilege to participate in the gospel going forward. I suppose we will all have that kind of joy when we fully embrace what it means that Jesus gave his all for us. One of the ways that you can do it is just to preach the gospel to yourself every day. It may seem totally unrelated, but it's all related. Instead of when you sin, say it, being so disappointed with yourself. I can't believe I did. Ah! Just confess to the Lord. Be disappointed that you offended him. And even as you confess the seeds of joy are planted in that confession, they're, 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 they're just waiting to sprout. Why can we turn from sorrow to joy so quickly? Because although Jesus was rich beyond comprehension, for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. Let's pray. Our deacons will be coming to receive the benevolence offering once a month. We Give so that we as a body can bless those in need. And oh my, how people are blessed. Someone recently received a significant gift that came from your generosity. And said, you know, we've got all these health issues and all these other things. But this gift helped us see that everything's going to be all right. That God's taking care of us. That's kind of, it's kind of the way it works and it's kind of the privilege that we have to participate in the ministry of giving. Lord, we pray that you'll bless not only this offering that is going out now, but all of the giving that is represented in this room. So many give of their time and service. Uh, in, in many different ways, I pray that you would help us to be givers on the basis of what was given for us. Lord, just fill our hearts, flood our hearts with the joy of forgiveness that results in a sacrificial, generous, giving heart and spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.